0: Welcome to Mac Power Users, Episode 1, All About Email.
1: So you may have heard there's a new Mac podcast on the block. And uh, you may also be asking yourself, why the heck is there another Mac podcast out there? Well, we think we've got something new that we can contribute to
0: this space. Yeah, the idea between the Mac uh, power users was that we would come up with a podcast where we would address one subject important to Mac users in each episode and try and go deep with it and discuss it in great detail. What we were really looking for was to make the podcast that we both wanted to subscribe to. So here we are.
1: Right. Now, we may occasionally have other segments on the show, but on every show, we're going to have at least one topic covered in depth. And then after we've covered that topic in depth, we may do follow-up to previous shows. We may – well, we definitely will be taking questions and comments. uh, And we may add some other segments as the show evolves and as time goes on.
0: We're not going to be a show, though, about the news and the rumors. There's so many of those already. We decided we're going to steer clear of that.
1: Right. Um, And also, the name Mac Power Users worries me just a teeny little bit because – I do consider myself to be a Mac Power user, but certainly neither of us are experts on all Mac subjects. So from time to time, we may bring in guests to talk about specific subjects, and we also may make mistakes here or there. So we can ask that you please help us whenever that happens and to send in any comments or thoughts or corrections, uh, and we'll happily make sure that we get those played on future shows.
0: And even when we're alone and we think we're the Mac Power users, there's always going to be somebody out there who's got some ideas that are improvements upon what we've done. And that's one of the reasons with each subsequent episode, we're going to go back and briefly discuss the prior episode and share uh, all the tips and tricks we learned from the listeners.
1: So we should probably talk a little bit about how people can find us. Um, First, you can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. It is out there. That is probably the easiest way. And you can find it by searching for Mac Power users.
0: You can also email us at feedback at macpowerusers.com
1: and we also have a website macpowerusers.com and there's also a convenient iTunes subscribe link and there you'll find show notes with links to things that we've talked about on the show
0: you can also find us on Twitter at macpowerusers, yeah, and you can we've received a couple direct messages from people already about this email episode and and that's been added to the to the show outline
1: so even before we get our first show off the ground we've already got people telling us what to do
0: Excellent. That's
1: perfect. All right. Well, I guess we've uh, done enough of that. We should probably start talking about email.
0: Yeah. And I think we should start with the question of IMAP versus POP. When was the first time that, that those words even became uh, aware? When was the first time you even became aware of those words, Katie?
1: Well, it's, it's been several years. And I guess I really didn't become aware that there was a distinction until IMAP became popular. Uh, it used to be everything was POP or webmail based or or something of that nature and now more and more you're seeing IMAP based email systems.
0: Yeah, I always thought that POP was the uh, the older the older system and I knew IMAP was the newer system, but I never really understood the difference until I actually got an iPhone and I suddenly had two devices and it became quickly a, uh, aware of the problem of getting email uh, on several devices and what would happen is you get the the spam email as an example and you'd throw it away on your iPhone, then you'd get back to your computer, and it'd be on your computer as well. And that's when I decided to figure out the difference.
1: Now, it should be noted that we're making pretty broad generalizations, because POP can be configured a number of different ways in settings to leave old messages on the server for so many days, or to retrieve messages. um, But generally, configured out of the box is how we're, we're talking about the differences between POP and IMAP. And I think David and I both agree that regardless, we like IMAP, and maybe by the end of this episode, you will too.
0: But we should probably start just uh, going back a step. Now, POP stands for Post Office Protocol, and it was the original standard for handling email, or at least the prior standard, I guess would be the more accurate description. And what it does is you've got a server out there somewhere in the internet land. For instance, if you have a internet service provider like Cox or one of the cable providers, they have a server and your mail comes in and when you plug into it with your POP account, it pulls the message off the server and puts it in your email inbox. The um, The way it's generally set up is when you pull that message down, it comes off of the server and now it's locally on your computer and that's that's where it's kept. Although you can leave a copy on the server if you'd like.
1: Right. But generally, the message comes down to your computer, and that's where it lives. Now, some people may like that because they may say, I don't trust these email servers out there. I don't want my messages out there on somebody else's server. There may be concerns that if you have sensitive data in your messages, the longer it stays on the server, the more time people will have access to it, and they just want to manage their mail locally on their computer. However, I think that especially when you add multiple devices into the into the mix, pop becomes a burden because all of a sudden you've got some messages on some computers, some messages on another, and then not many messages up on the server.
0: And again, backing up, the POP protocol uh, came into effect when everybody basically had one computer and when you could not get email in your pocket and webmail really didn't exist at that time either. So it wasn't really a problem when it first started. But like Katie was just saying, now everybody's getting email on multiple devices. Even if you just have one computer, sometimes you like to check your email on off the internet off a foreign computer. And the problem is with the POP system, once you download that email, it's gone off the server. So if you have POP set up in its most common configuration, which pulls the message off the server, and you download it onto your on your Mac, and then you go with an iPhone or another Mac or another computer and check the, for your email, it's not there. So you won't get that email on a different computer.
1: Right. Um, And then came along IMAP, which stands for Internet Message Access Protocol. And this is a newer message, which actually leaves – or excuse me, a newer standard, which actually leaves your messages up on the server. And it keeps, for lack of a better word, the server and your computer and your iPhone and your iPod Touch and all of those other devices you have that access email in sync – If you have folders that specific messages are uh, stored in, it keeps all of those folders in sync. If you've read a message on one computer, it is going to show up as read on another computer. If you get a piece of spam coming in on one computer and you delete it, it is not going to show up on other computers because it's already been deleted.
0: Yeah, The the important thing here is with POP, it was a one-way conversation. The message got sent from the server to your computer And the server never got any communication back from your computer. With IMAP, it goes both ways. So if you're on your Mac and you uh, have an IMAP account set up and you add a folder that says Mac Power Users, you know, I just did one of those. So I can can put a message in there and it's going to go back up to the server and it's going to tell the server, hey, you need to add a folder called Mac Power Users and it'll create one there. And then when you log in with your iPhone, it'll say, hey, server, I saw you just put a Mac Power Users folder on, so it'll create one on your iPhone as well. Those folders will be recreated everywhere. And it does the same thing with the, the read status, the delete status. It's very convenient. You know, you get the spam email and you throw it away on your iPhone. When you go back to your computer, it's no longer there for you to see. You don't have to do it more than once.
1: Right. Now, my initial concern with IMAP is, yeah, I don't know how much I trust somebody else's servers. Everybody knows how paranoid I am about backing up. And what happens if something happens on these servers completely outside of my control, and one day I wake up and all my email messages are gone?
0: Well, that could be a problem if you don't have a local mail client that pulls copies down. Um, You know, if you have one of these situations where you only read your mail through the uh, through the web, you, know, you you load one of these web applications or a website and read your email off their server, and it doesn't pull down copies, then you could have a problem. But fortunately, there's a lot of really good mail uh, clients on the Mac platform that pull copies down, uh, the chief of which would be Apple Mail, which comes built in on every new Mac. It pulls down all of the mail off your server. And uh, so you have a local copy already. In fact, when you search your mail on your Mac, it's not searching your IMAP server. It's searching the local copies on your hard drive.
1: So even if your Internet connection is down or you're out on the road and don't have access to an Internet connection, you're still going to have access to your stored email.
0: Yeah. And to contrast that, the iPhone does not pull down all the copies. It pulls down as many as you tell it to, which I think the maximum last time I checked was 200. Right, but Uh, this is going to
1: become a lot more convenient in iPhone 3.0 because you're actually going to be able to search on the iPhone similar to how you would search on your mail client on the Mac.
0: Exactly, but on the iPhone 3.0, it's not pulling all the email down. It is going to be searching actually on the IMAP server for you, so So that's a little different.
1: It's probably going to be slower, and if you don't have connectivity, it's going to be really, really, really slow.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, but the uh, the IMAP service is really the way to go, I think. I, I don't re- worry too much about the email being stored on the server in terms of security. I mean, there's so much out there, and, and you can take steps. Like, for instance, the mobile me account has a secure connection when you download the email. So in transit, the email's relatively safe, and um, it's just so convenient. Another nice point about having the mail up on the server, it, it is a type of backup. If you're... If your Mac melts, uh, you can get a new Mac, plug into that same IMAP account, and it's going to immediately download all your mail.
1: Right. And for the ultra-paranoid who are worried that my mail is up on somebody else's server, well, keep in mind that with a POP account, they're probably doing some kind of caching and archiving back behind the scenes. So that doesn't mean there's because you've deleted an email that if someone really wanted to, they couldn't access it.
0: Now that we kind of talked about IMAP, though, it's important to say, you know, some people think they can get a, a a poor man's IMAP by simply having POP but leave the message on the server. So in contrast with the original POP we talked about where it pulls the message down, it leaves a copy on the server but then also pulls a copy down to your computer. And the problem with that is it doesn't have that two-way communication, so it doesn't sync folders and red status
1: And how many times have you sent someone an email and gotten a bounce back saying this message could not be delivered because this user's email inbox is full? And that happens very, very quickly, especially if they have a lot of attachments when you do something like this POP method and keep your email copies stored on the server.
0: Well, yeah, Katie, but that's also a risk when you run IMAP because you are loading your server. And I guess that's one of the things you need to know about any type of mails is you need to have server space for storage. Uh, I use a Mobile Me account. Um, I've got up to 20 gigs I can assign to mail. And, and I think uh, you
1: can actually buy more and assign more to mail, but uh, 20 gigs is the current capacity of the Mobile Me account.
0: Yeah, actually, before we recorded, I went and checked mine. I have assigned eight eight of my 20 gigs to mail. Wow. And of that, I've used two. So.
1: Okay, I've used um, about one and a half, and I've got two assigned. So I need to go back into my Mobile Me account settings and. Uh, probably add a little extra padding there just in case.
0: Do you know what the Gmail limit is? Well, have...
1: it it keeps growing. Um, every time I take a look at Gmail, the limit is growing. So I think right now it's, it's over three gigs and continues to grow.
0: Yeah. And by that, I'm talking about you can get a free Gmail account that also has free service attached to it. But I can't seem to get a solid answer as to what exactly that number is. I don't really use Gmail aggressively. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute
1: actually, let me just uh correct that while we're still looking. I just opened uh a gmail account and uh it says seven hundred or excuse me seven thousand three hundred and twenty two megabytes
0: uh so you have plenty of room plenty of your... room
1: and before you eat that up, it will probably go up again.
0: Another pitfall with an IMAP account is is server communication. You're reliant on having that link between your server to update and download your email. And it's constantly communicating. Like I said, it's a two-way conversation. So if your mail client and your mail service don't get along, it can be a little painful. Right.
1: Now, POP versus IMAP. Um, David and I both use IMAP. We think that it is far superior and uh I suppose people can get away with using pop, especially if they're only using one computer. but I'm not sure that we would recommend that at this point
0: yeah sometimes you don't have a choice if your if your i s p or the service you do your your mail through only has pop, and I guess it really doesn't you know you don't have a choice, but if you're using more than one device, you're really going to feel that pain.
1: Well, and I think to some degree people do have choices, and we can talk about this a little later in the show, but a lot of people instinctively get assigned or sign up for an email address whenever they get their internet service installed. I know when I had the Comcast guy here signing, uh, setting me up for service, they assigned me an email address that I couldn't even tell you what it was because I logged in once, made sure that any random messages were sent there were forwarded to my correct email address and then completely ignored it in the future. Um, because you can get a free Yahoo account or a free Gmail account, um, and Gmail uh, does offer IMAP. uh, Yahoo does with a fee.
0: Yeah, and it's also important to note that Gmail doesn't necessarily start as IMAP. I think you have to throw a switch somewhere, don't you, to make that work?
1: Um, It did when I signed up because initially when I signed up, POP was the only option, though I do not know if it defaults to IMAP now for new users.
0: That's kind of an interesting conversation. You know, now we've decided we want to use iMap for our email, but which email should we use? You know, where should we do our email business? The first one is obviously mobile me. That's the Apple service.
1: And this is what I initially start using and still use for my primary email. Quite frankly, I had a mobile me account back before it was called .mac. It was a service called iTools. It was free. We thought that it was going to be free forever. Um, But it was a get-your-name-at-mac.com email address. Steve Jobs announced it at one of his keynotes many, many years ago. And that very night, I quickly went and signed up for my name and have been using it. I've had this email address probably uh, seven or eight years now. And it's it's like my phone number. I don't ever want to get rid of it. So to some degree, I'm kind of stuck with MobileMe.
0: Yeah, well, and there's a lot to me maybe we'll address that on a future show some point. But for the mail purposes, there's a couple things about it that I think are nice. Uh, first of all, although you have one e- main email address with your mobile me account, you actually can set up alternate identities uh, that are kind of disposable. I have one that's set up for shopping, for instance. So whenever I have to go on to a website and give them my email address, I can use this shopping alternate identity. And if I ever decide to just throw that one away... That's fine. It won't affect my underlying account. Right. Uh, they have very good IMAP service. Uh, they have built-in spam filtering through the um, mobile me servers. I, yeah, I, know that.
1: I don't think it's very good, though.
0: You know, I, I would disagree because I uh, at work, I have this process where, I, and I'm going to talk about it later, but I have a copy of my work emails forwarded to my mobile me account, and I get a lot more spam from the very same email account at the office than I do in my mobile me account. Okay. So, uh, you know, for instance, if a, a, an email comes into me at work, a copy gets shot off to my mobile me. And I'll look in my work account and there may be 10 or 12 emails in there where I only get seven on my mobile me account. And not once in the years I've been doing this have I missed something on the mobile me account that I actually needed. Right. Uh, now, another nice thing about uh, the MobileMe service is if you use an iPhone or an iPod Touch, it's a, it's got a great push sync service.
1: Which I know you don't use, but I find it invaluable.
0: I kind of use it, but I'll tell you about that when we go through our, our process. But it's nice knowing that the email is going to get to you immediately if there's something coming in. Um, it's usually stable. Huh. That's MobileMe.
1: It is usually stable, but yeah. let's... There there was a time period when they first flipped the Mobile Me switch for about a week that I had very unreliable email access. But it seems to Mobile Me seems to have finally gotten uh, its sea legs and is doing well now.
0: Well, I think, you know, after Mobile Me went live with all the big changes for the first month, it was not stable. No. And that was well publicized. In fact, I forget who wrote it. Somebody wrote an article on the web about imagining Steve Jobs wandering the hallways with a flamethrower strapped to his best.
1: And just <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, asking, do you work on mobile me? <laughs> and uh, but since then, it's actually become quite stable, in my opinion. I've never really had any problems since that initial period.
1: Yeah, I uh, did get a, a, a notice that there was a, an outage for some users. Actually, this past Friday, but it seemed to be temporary, and there didn't seem to be any loss. And of course, any email service provider is not going to have a hundred percent uptime.
0: Yeah. Some of the things I don't like about uh, MobileMe is they don't have server based rule sets. So if I wanted to put up subfolders and have it uh, like ship any email from Katie to a separate folder on the server side, it can't do that.
1: And that uh, is probably my biggest complaint about MobileMe because I use Apple Mail rules quite a bit. And because of the way I manage my email on multiple devices, it would really be nice. Um, I know, David, you have a computer set up at home that kind of stays on and will filter your mail for you before it gets to all of your devices, uh, especially if I'm out on the road with my iPhone, which I am quite a bit and don't have access to my desktop machine. Um, I'm just – tons and tons of messages are coming in that I wish were folder or filtered to other other. And, uh, as a side note, you can go to apple, um, apple.com slash feedback. And there is a place to give feedback on all of Apple products, including mobile me. And I know this is one that I've given them feedback on quite a bit. So hopefully in a future version.
0: Yeah, and Katie, if you just used my system, you wouldn't have that problem.
1: If I just used your system, but then we wouldn't have a very good show today, would we? <laughs> well,
0: you know, there's other benefits to MobileMe, and we're not going to go through them all today. I think we're just going to focus on the mail stuff, but I think it is a, a very good option, although it, it's an expensive one. And uh, I just purchased a upgrade for our MobileMe account for my family because my wife and kids also have uh, – Mac mail accounts, and uh, it was a hundred bucks on Amazon. I know. I think if you go in the store, it's hundred and fifty. Right. But you you can get you buy them cheaper, and you just get the box in the mail with the code, and you type it in, you're good to go. I looked this morning; you could buy a single user account for a year uh, for sixty five dollars off Amazon. So you've got some nice benefits. I think, if you, I think the, really, the tipping point for MobileMe is if you own an iPhone or iPod Touch.
1: Right, and you-, and you can also, by the way, get a discount on MobileMe when you buy a new Mac, if you buy it at that time, or you can also get a discount when you buy an iPhone. At least that was the case with the iPhone 3G. I'm hoping that continues to be the case. Um, and you can also add additional storage to uh, MobileMe. You used to be able to add additional email-only accounts for $10 a year. David, do you know if that's still an option?
0: I don't. Okay. I don't. But also, if you go in the Apple Store and you tell them you're going to buy it off Amazon, sometimes they will uh, bring the price down for you.
1: Right. It's, it's similar to uh, uh, AppleCare, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a future episode.
0: Okay, so MobileMe is one option, Katie. Now, you use Gmail as well.
1: I do, but it is not my primary. And you know, to some degree, I almost wish that it was, uh, the big benefit of Gmail is that it's free. Um, now there are a few things that you have to put up with for it being free. There are some ads and Gmail does have a computer that is, uh, scanning the content of your email to try to determine you know uh, specific keywords for ads that you may be more interested in than not I mean don't don't think that someone is actually snooping and reading your email that's that's not the case, um, although I suppose if you don't use Gmail through the Gmail interface, then you never see the ads you
0: know that that whole idea that the computer is reading my email and indexing it and putting together ads that just creeps me out
1: it does it is a little creepy. Um, it is free, uh, but you say it has a few wrinkles.
0: Well, the uh, the IMAP is a new feature in Gmail, as Correct. you said, and uh, the Gmail the big advantage was the keyword stuff that they put into it. And as I understand it, their implementation of IMAP requires some kind of combination between the mailboxes and the uh, the keywords, and it can create multiple copies of the email on your local copies. Have you had that experience?
1: I haven't had that experience, but um, I have had a few little wacky things in terms of keyword and tagging when using it on the web interface.
0: And I don't use it. I have a Gmail account, and um, it forwards to my mobile me, and I never give that account out. I don't really use it. Uh, So I don't have that much experience with the Gmail IMAP integration, but I've talked to a few people that weren't real happy with it.
1: Right. It does work with the regular mail clients, such as Apple Mail. In fact, it's very easy to set up in Apple Mail, and um, Gmail actually has a little tutorial on their site that will walk you through all of that. Uh, In my mind, the best feature of Gmail is the spam filtering. I don't know what they have. I don't know what algorithm that they're using. I wish they would sell it to Apple because Gmail, hands down, has the best spam filtering on any ISP side that I have ever used. And in fact, uh, I use Gmail quite a bit with a workaround to filter spam that we'll talk a little bit about later, which uh, means that I don't have to deal with as much of it on my iPhone and other devices, because I have found Gmail spam filtering to be far superior
0: to mobile maze. Yeah, and everyone I've spoken to agrees with that.
1: Yeah, and it does have server-based rules. So if Gmail can do it, I'm not sure what Apple's problem is but they gmail does have server-based rules but they are somewhat limited in my experience they are not as full featured as the rules that you can create through apple mail um, so it, it works but um and, and not it's not quite as full featured uh and one of my f- oh go ahead david
0: yeah, another thing about gmail is that it can suck in older accounts
1: that is one of my favorite features of gmail
0: yeah, so you can uh, you can put in your, your account information for some dead email accounts and Gmail will pull all that in.
1: Yeah, I actually have a few dead email accounts that are lingering back there and, and, and mainly just collect spam, but occasionally a good message will come through. Uh, this is especially good for people who are transitioning to Gmail from another account. Um, my dad had an old AOL account for years and there's actually a hack that you can implement. Uh, you can find the... the instructions online to get your aol mail to come into gmail and then i actually use that to then forward to his mobile me account and he doesn't really know the difference all he knows is now all of his email comes into one account and he's just trying to transition people and clients over over to the new account but as long as his aol mail stays up and stays free he doesn't really care what they send it to
0: Yeah, i don't think that's really that big of a feature i mean you can forward just about any account even on the old pop accounts to any account you want um but it is nice. It gives you one place to to do the administrative end of that. But it's just as easy to go to the old account and forward it.
1: Um, with some accounts, you can. AOL, though, specifically, we could not. So that's, that's where the Gmail workaround came through. I don't know if that's still the case, but at the time that we tried to set it up, you could not forward AOL mail. Um, and some ISPs actually won't let you forward mail um, beyond, obviously, the time that your service with them terminates. Some will give you a 30-day grace period. Some will give you a 60-day grace period. So probably if you know you're transitioning, it's a good idea to give yourself a little lead time because no matter how many emails you send out announcing your new email address, some people are still going to send it to the old one.
0: You know, it's kind of funny. I just Sometimes I just abandon an email account and just I don't forward it. I just leave it in the dust.
1: To me, that would, that would be very hard. I would uh, have a, I, that would be like losing my phone number.
0: I figure if they really love me, they'll find me. It's not that hard.
1: Okay. Well, that's, that's one way to look at it. That's one way to look at it. Now, I know you mentioned you also have email through your job. Um, I do as well. I try to keep my work accounts completely separate from my personal accounts. Part of that is the environment that I work in, being in a larger firm, uh, where there are certain rules about security and confidentiality, uh, and they tend to be very picky about that kind of things, though I know you have a little more flexibility.
0: Yeah, I'm in a small business, so we kind of make our rules up as we go along, but we have to be smart about it. Um, but I think even just for the listeners, I mean, there's a lot of people who will have, you know, enterprise type accounts that they have through their work domain. And the point I wanted to make is you, that's not an account that you're signing up for managing. It's not your personal account, but it's just as easy to run those through um, some of the popular Mac mail clients or through the web clients.
1: Right. And I would just encourage people um, who are using work-based email accounts to be very cautious about what they put through there. Um, number one, should your employment ever end with that employer for one reason or another, your email is likely not going to be forwarded onto your uh, personal account. Uh, and also, if you are using someone else's service like your employer's for your email, I would work under the assumption that your, e- your employer has the ability to read everything you send and receive uh, on your email. And even if you aren't doing anything nefarious or inappropriate, they still may not appreciate the amount of time and attention that's being diverted to non-work-related tasks. So I would just say use work email accounts with caution.
0: Okay, so we've covered the mobile me account, the Gmail account, the work related account, and what about the ISP accounts?
1: Those are my least favorite accounts of all. I do not like ISP based emails, and unfortunately, they seem to be the most popular around what I'll call more novice to normal email users, and I think the people who are listening to this podcast probably are not that particular audience, but uh, I'll give you an example. My aunt recently uh, moved, and uh, she moved from one town to another, and she was temporarily in a rental for a year and a half and then ended up purchasing in another area of town and has changed her email address three times within the last year and a half. Uh, and quite frankly, it's hard to keep up with her because she keeps changing it every time she moves. Hopefully, she's stable for now.
0: So every time she gets a new cable company, she gets a new All email
1: app. Right. She had a Bell South. She had a Comcast. Now she's got one through AT&T U-verse. Um, And she really doesn't know that there are other email options out there. So... Every time you move cable accounts or your uh, if your email comes through your cable or your DSL, if you decide to upgrade from DSL to cable, if you move across town or across the country and that particular cable provider is not available, if you get offered a better deal from someone else, the minute that you terminate your cable account, your email is likely no longer going to come back in. I hate ISP-based email accounts. They also tend to be pop accounts, and they tend to have fairly low limits and are fairly featureless.
0: Yeah, those are always the the holdovers in the pop world. What I always tell people is, look, if you're drinking the Kool-Aid and you've got all the Apple gear, just get the MobileMe account. There's so many benefits to it, it's probably worth it. But if you're not, just get the Gmail account, and it'll follow you around.
1: Right. Now, you've also mentioned throwaway email accounts. And I don't tend to throw away as many counts as I think you do.
0: Well, actually when I wrote that in, in the in the outline, as I was talking about accounts you use for uh, signing up for services or web accounts or if you're signing up for a bulletin board or something and you don't want to put your main email out there. Right. Uh, some people have these disposable email accounts um, I know some people that have many of them. I, I don't really use them, to be honest with you. I, I have, like I said, a couple alternate identities under my mobile me account, but I generally don't find it that big of a problem.
1: Right. I typically use my Gmail account, which is not my primary account, but forwards to my primary account um, for all of these places. If it's not a place I'm very familiar with, I mean, Amazon, I think, has my real email address. Uh, But other than that, especially if I'm posting something on eBay or Craigslist, I'll send them through the Gmail account just because I think my email address is much more likely to get picked up in those types of places, much more likely to get spam, and I've got stronger spam filters with Gmail and those server-side rules that I can use to filter some of that stuff off.
0: Yeah, I think the important thing is just not to go crazy with it. I mean, when you get all these accounts, you start losing track of things. And then information stops getting to you that you probably need.
1: Right, and that's why I've set up this this series of, of folders.
0: Yeah, and that and that gets back to the advantage of that um, that uh, the Gmail thing where it sucks in all these accounts. So long as you have them all feeding into the one account, you're good. So so let's just summarize on the email services. I use MobileMe primarily. I have a Gmail account, but um, it is only used to pull in. One old account, and I rarely use it, uh, but that also forwards to my mobile me as well, right And those are the services I use. I use,
1: so? I use Mobile me primarily, but I do have a strong reliance uh, it sounds like a stronger reliance than you do at least, on the Gmail accounts to do some of that filtering uh, and collection of those, those other messages that I don't necessarily want to have my main account.
0: Yeah, I get the advantages of Gmail, but frankly, I haven't had the kinds of problems with spam and the other issues that would make me want to add that to my process. I just don't want to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Right.
1: So let's talk oh, about Apple Mail, because I think we both use Apple Mail as our primary email client, although there certainly are others out there.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of Mac users start with the Apple application. Right. Um, I think... There's some really nice advantages of Apple Mail. The the smart folder system, which is basically the computer side filtering, is really well done. Have you ever worked with it?
1: I have to some degree, but um, I tend to sort my own things into folders, whereas I don't think you do. So I can definitely see where they would come in more handy for your email system.
0: Yeah, everything I have gets dropped into an archive, and we're going to go through our mail systems in a bit. But as a result, um, it is nice to have a few uh... smart folders uh... for instance i have a smart folder that is for friends and family and it looks at each email coming in and compares the name on the email to my contacts data group for friends and family and if they fall in that group then it gets automatically dropped in that folder
1: okay i don't use smart folders as much but i do have a couple of specific uh... email lists that i'm a member of and i will filter messages into smart folders from those lists or if I'm working on a specific project with a person, um, I can I can sometimes create what I call you know short-term smart folders to send all correspondence from that person or all correspondence with a specific topic um, into that smart folder as well, so I can you know at a glance look at things.
0: Yeah, I do similar. I have one for clients as well that looks at my address book entries. I also have some for project specific files that will look for certain keywords and usually those don't last very long but it's nice to have them when I need them. Um, the nice thing about the Apple Mail client is it gives you so many different criteria to create a smart folder from that it's pretty easy to make one uh, based on your needs.
1: Right. It's, it's very simple and you can, it, it's almost like setting up mail rules, uh, the same way that you can filter various rules, you can also filter with smart folders, just like you would in iTunes or iPhoto or any other Apple iApp.
0: If I could change one thing about the smart folder practice in Apple Mail, though, is I would like to have more control over the all versus any criteria. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Right. Yeah, I do know exactly what you're talking about. It's you're, you're really stuck with a series of if-then statements that you wish you could refine a little more. And yeah, I have instance, seen some people who have had smart folders leading into other smart folders, leading into other smart folders to do this really wacky kind of filtering system because they can't do specifically what they want.
0: Yeah, and that would work. But it would be much nicer if you could set up one rule that says, uh, if it includes this person, if it's within this time period, and includes this date but does not have this person or something like that. And it would be very convenient.
1: Right. The other thing uh, that's very similar to smart folders is Apple Mail rules. And I use rules more than I use smart folders. I tend to use smart folders for more short-term projects uh, and rules for more long-term uh, things. Um, specifically, I have uh, rules set aside um, to filter certain messages from certain people into certain folders, uh, filter certain uh, messages um, that have specific topics into other folders that I'm looking for, um, and that kind of thing. I also uh, can somewhat use it to tweak the spam filter settings if there are specific things that I'm constantly getting that are problematic. I can create a rule in there, and I think we'll both talk about a little later uh, the Mail Act-On and the Mail Tags product, which also integrates with Apple Mail rules.
0: And to distinguish the difference between the rule and the smart folders, uh, the rule deals with it immediately when it comes in and automatically sorts it in. I guess that's really what smart folders do, too, in a way.
1: But smart folders isn't moving your data. Rules can move your data so that they never appear in the inbox or they always get diverted here or they always go to the trash. Smart filters is really more of an instant search because your messages are going to continue to live wherever they normally live.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good way. But it's more like a filter that goes through your existing database and puts it in a different place for you. Right. Whereas the the rules actually physically move the file to a specific folder, to the trash. I actually use um, rules sometimes if I have people that send me all these emails. uh, If from from is
1: grandmother and subject includes forward, then send mail to trash?
0: Yes. yes. (laughs) Okay. We'll usually give them a warning first. If it's a friend, I give them a call but if they continue on that list they go into a they go into a rule they you, get their very own
1: you get a bad rule it is bad to have your own custom
0: rule yes on my computer it probably is okay.
1: the other thing the, that i think you and i use quite a bit is spotlight within mail which almost because it works so well uh limits your need to use smart folders and mail rules
0: yeah, I like I said earlier, I have one archive where I drop all my mail into after I'm done dealing with it, and I have never felt a need to have all these nested folders. Uh, I used to do that years and years ago, and it was such a pain because, you know, an email would come in and you have to figure out where does this go and, you know, which folder and which subfolder. and So you wasted so much time sorting your mail. I find it a lot easier with the ability of Spotlight to find your email so easily just to drop it into an archive.
1: Yeah, I'm a little different. I, I use Spotlight quite a bit. Um, I tend to put things that I know I'm going to need in the short term into folders. I very rarely have emails in folders that are more than a couple of months old. It's specifically if I'm working on a project or I have a task or something, I tend to manually move the messages into these folders uh, to to look at at a glance but um spotlight in mail is is great and have you experienced because you probably have i tend to uh after a year or two years archive all of my email off and no longer keep it in the apple mail program and uh, you sound like you have a lot more mail in apple mail probably than i do have you noticed any slowdown with spotlight
0: no, I don't have much difficulty at all. You know, I've, like I said, I've got about two gigs in there, and it's working fine. I don't seem... I've heard a lot of people complain about uh, slowing down the search, and I haven't noticed it in mine. I think, um, like, Mac OS X, hence, has some articles on ways to speed it up and reindex index it. But if it gets to a point where it starts slowing down, I would obviously archive some off. And usually, the only stuff I really need to find in a search is probably within the last year or two anyway. Right. But... um. I just think that using the Spotlight, you can find just about anything you want very quickly. A a point to make is once you start typing in the Spotlight search in mail, you get your own search criteria that pops up right underneath in a little gray box above your list of mail. So you can limit your search to a certain inbox or to all mailboxes. You can limit it to the recipient or the sender or the subject. If you just use your mouse when you're typing in, you can find, you you can refine the search and make it even easier to find your, your mail.
1: Right. And specifically, if I were to type David into the search box, I can either search messages that have the word David in the subject line, that are from David, that are sent to David, or that mention David anywhere in the body of the message. And that's a good way to narrow down your results. Because if you just type in David, chances are you're going to get a ton of messages, whereas if you narrow the results to just messages from David, you're going to narrow what, and, and find what you're looking for much more quickly.
0: And that's why I ultimately gave up on the whole idea of folders. I started thinking about how much time I'm spending putting messages in folders and taking them back out of folders later, and it just wasn't paying off for me. Because whenever there's an email message I need to find, I can usually find it within you know seven keystrokes.
1: Right. Uh, another one of my favorite uh, upgrades, and I believe this came in Leopard, was the idea of data detectors in email. And I have used this so many times, uh, specifically if I'm going somewhere and somebody sends me an address, and this is the address to my work, this is the address to my house, or you can call me on my cell, here's the number. Uh, usually mail is smart enough that it will detect addresses, uh, phone numbers, dates, um, And you can click on these items within mail and say, add to contact. And you, for example, if someone sends me a message saying, call me on my cell, here's my number. Usually the number will have a little box around it once you click on it that you can drag down and say, uh, add this to contact. And you can say, you know, add it to the cell, add it to the home, add it to the work number. Um, And I have really improved the quality of the information in my address book simply by using data detectors.
0: And the way to find that is just to mouse over it. Usually it's got a little gray triangle pointing down to the right of anything that it's identified as data. Uh, An important point on that is when you click add to an existing contact or even creating a new one, look carefully at the data it's trying to import. Sometimes it doesn't get it right. And uh, for instance, I had a... A friend who um, sent me some data, I added her phone number, but I also had my name on the data detector because I was a recipient, and it mistakenly put her phone number to me. So then she called me, and my phone had my picture on it, and it really got me confused for a little while.
1: Who is this calling me? Yeah, <laughs> I've had that happen too, and I think it tends to happen Uh, exactly when you're a recipient, which obviously if you've got the email message, you are. So click and make sure that you're adding it to the right person. Uh, There should be a little drop-down box, especially if that person is in your address book, or you can create a new contact, and it will populate. You know, If you get a message from a new friend or a new colleague, um, you can click on any of the information in the data detectors, and it gives you the option to create a new contact, and then we'll go through the body of that message and add all of the information it can and put it where it thinks it goes.
0: And the only thing there is just make sure you look at it before you click OK, because right. if it's added something from you, it's not that difficult to remove it before saving it. Right. What about stationary? Are you a stationary user, Katie?
1: Um, I think I've sent one or two messages with stationary, but quite frankly, I don't trust it to send out to massive groups. I don't think I would ever send out uh, an invitation or a newsletter or something like that via stationary, just because I've heard horror stories of, uh, compatibility issues. It doesn't look the same for people who are opening it on this operating system or this email client or if they're using webmail mail versus uh, a, a mail client. Um, I haven't really had much of that problem because most of the people I send messages to are Mac users. Um, and I think it has improved somewhat with the, the various upgrades through mail, but I am not a stationary user. I yeah, wish that it one worked of, better.
0: Well, that was one of the big changes to the, I guess it was leopard with the leopard release is the addition of stationary to Apple mail. And so you can create something that looks like stationary paper and it's got really simple drop boxes. So you can drag in a picture to it and it looks, it looks nice. Um, I'm one of those guys. I like to write, uh, send handwritten notes to people uh, occasionally and a thank you note or, or a hello to a friend. And uh, yeah, I try to stay, um, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word for it? Ancient, you know, uh, Cro-Magnum you know I did, I like to use snail mail on occasion but so this is kind of a, a version of that and I don't use it very often but occasionally I do like we went out and had a really nice weekend with some friends so I created a stationary and sent them a thank you and dragged in some pictures of their kids and I know they were pc users and they loved it um I think it works generally pretty well but it's one of those things that you should use very selectively
1: right I agree. Now, organizing by thread is one of the uh, features in Apple Mail that people either love or they hate. What do you think about it?
0: Um, I don't use it too often. I don't. Uh, oca- occasionally, I do. Uh, my threads usually don't last very long because I I don't do a lot of email correspondence on a subject. Usually, when we're done with a subject, I don't I don't continue the thread. But um, once in a while, when you need it, the option is there, and it. And uh just to tell everyone, it's very simple in Apple Mail, there's a, a setting under I think is under the view option. Here let me go over and look real quick.
1: Yes, under view organized by thread.
0: Just click that. And when you click on an email, it shows you the entire entire chain. In fact, that's one of the benefits a lot of people like about Gmails. I think it defaults there, doesn't it?
1: Um it does. Or it, it it will show you related messages, yes.
0: So you can do it in Apple Mail as well. And um I'm just not big at using that. I know some people do. In fact, I think we got some email from a couple listeners that that specifically like that feature.
1: Well, and the other thing is, I tend to check my email very often, and then I deal with it as soon as it comes in. I very seldom have, you know, perhaps if I've been gone and out of touch all day, which I rarely am with the iPhone now, um, I will have. 10 to 15 messages come in at a time at night when I log onto my computer for the first time. But um, once you, if you've got one message and then you get subsequent messages in a thread, if you've already archived or deleted or somehow done something with these messages, then the you know, view and thread feature isn't as, as usable. Um,
0: I think it would be also helpful if you were in a big organization where there were you know, many people working in the same email thread and you wanted to get a summary of everything that had happened. It would be very convenient for that.
1: And it would probably work well with email lists. Um, I I use this feature occasionally. I'm a subscriber to a couple of Mac-based email lists, and someone will post a problem, and there will be multiple replies and suggestions. Uh, And I have all those messages filtered somewhere separate so that I'm not constantly dealing with them in my inbox. Um, And it works well in that setting.
0: How about the built-in to-do management support? Do you use that in Apple Mail?
1: I've started, but no, I don't. I think it's a handy feature, but it's not quite powerful enough for what I need.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, this app- this feature suffers from the fact that Apple's to-do management on the Mac is, is lacking.
1: Right. Um, quite frankly, if Apple had done a better job of building in to-do functionality in the first place, then I probably would, um, but it's it's kind of like even though it's it's certainly improved, and I'm sure it will in the future, they've already lost me to other products.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of the other developers have lapped them several times. However, if you just need something real simple, it's there, and you can manage your to-dos from within emails, and you can create to-dos from emails. I mean, it's it's convenient the way it's set up. It's just not robust enough for anybody who manages a lot of different tasks
1: right but it's probably a good way to start as you know sticking your toe into the baby pool if you want to start some kind of um, getting things done or organization method which i'm sure will be the topic of another show
0: yeah i don't even know if it's a way to start that to be honest i think it's a good way to manage things if you have a very small list right. but uh rss management is that
1: No, no, I'm a big fan of NetNewsWire and use that for all of my RSS. In fact, I've completely turned it off and deleted it. And every time I have a new Mac user open up Apple Mail, they say, what the heck is this?
0: Yeah, there is. I don't use it personally. I'm like you. I like NetNewsWire. But I find it useful when setting up Macs for people who are not as far down the rabbit hole as I. Um, And I know that there's a couple feeds they like, and they would never open NetNewsWire and just be confused if they did.
1: Right. Well, it's yet another area where the developers have done such a good job, and Apple's implementation is so poor. Yeah. Um,
0: like, my it, sister yeah. put my Max Sparky feed in my sister's mail account.
1: Okay.
0: And she will, that's the only way she would ever read it, so.
1: Right. You know. And quite frankly, if Apple had done a better job, I probably would prefer to have it. I mean, I, as much as I love NetNewsWire, I also like consolidating my apps to the, to the degree possible, so I don't have to have multiple things open.
0: So we've talked about uh, the outside developers and some of the other options, but we haven't talked about what the outside developers have done to Apple Mail.
1: Right, and certainly we can't cover everything here, but these are just the ones that we use. And certainly, if you have other suggestions, please send them in because I'm always looking for good Mail add-ons.
0: Yeah, I get to go first. Okay. I, I love Mail Acton.
1: He is in love with Mail Acton.
0: Yeah, mail Acton is a simple little program. It allows you to adjust rules both going in and coming out of Apple Mail. And the most simple feature about it that I like the most is you can take a highlighted email and apply a rule selectively. So if there's something in my inbox and I want to put it into my action folder, if I just hit control a on my keyboard, it magically happens.
1: And you also like not having to take your hand off the keyboard, don't you?
0: Exactly. It's much faster. You can select multiple emails. You can send them off and, um, you can just whip through your email, yeah, and the the new the new uh version also has an undo feature, which is nice because sometimes you whip through so fast you end up sticking an email where it doesn 't belong. you hit command z it comes right back
1: Mail acton is a tool that uh, until I got into it and forced myself to use it. You know they say it takes time to develop a habit, but until I made myself use it those first few days or first week or so. Um, I didn't realize how helpful it would be, and there are a lot of good tutorials out there. I know Don McAllister has done one. I know the guys at MacWorld have done them um, that can really show you how to use it. Because if you don't, if you've never used it before, you may think, "Well, everything's cooking along just fine. Why do I need to add something else to the mix?"
0: Yeah, and. And I'm going to talk about my mail process later, but I don't keep my inbox full of mail. I use, I use different ways to, to respond to mail. So going through my inbox using Mail Acton is very quick for me. I can send it where I need to. And uh, like I said, my fingers never leave the keyboard.
1: Right. Now, tagging seems to be very popular. You see tagging coming in everywhere now from websites to even the new version of Quicken has built in tagging. And um, I've never used tagging much with my mail, quite simply because the spotlight search features and my organization methods work so well for me. But uh, for the truly compulsive, especially if you're working on a specific project or you have certain specific keywords and you don't want to have a lot of folders or don't trust or can't use the spotlight search, uh, mail tags is a good option. David, can you once you I think you probably use that more than I do.
0: Yeah, I used to use mail tags a lot and once again it was uh something I kind of backed off of as I realized how effective Spotlight is. And but by the way, you can get MailActon and MailTags both at indev.ca. so I N D E V dot C A. I guess that's a Canadian developer. And uh Mail Acton is twenty five dollars and mail tags is thirty dollars. Right. The way Mail Tags works is any email coming in, you can assign predefined or new tags to them, and it saves the data up into into the IMAP database. And so when you sync it over to your other devices, you still see it. And uh, it's you know it's very useful if you're the tagging sort.
1: Right, and the thing that also makes it very useful is that you can do it automatically without ever thinking about it through the rules. So, yeah. even if you don't go through and tag all of your email messages, you can set up certain criteria for certain messages to be tagged.
0: Yeah, you can set it up so uh, the rules in Apple Mill apply the tags for you. So, if something comes in uh, that has the word Mac Power users in it, I could have it automatically apply a Mac Power users tag.
1: Or even if it comes into the Mac Power users account, you could have it apply a Mac Power users tag. Yeah. In addition. To make sure yeah. you get all of your Mac Power users' email in one place.
0: And you're a Letterbox user, right?
1: I am. It, it's a free little uh, plug-in to Apple Mail, um, and I don't use it to its full potential. It, it really depends on your personal preference. I used Entourage for a while before I started using Apple Mail. I made the switch to Apple Mail uh, back when I got an Intel Mac in uh, Microsoft Office. wasn't built for Intel yet, and it can do a couple of different things. One thing that that I like just from a visual standpoint is it will create alternating uh, yellow, excuse me alternating white and light blue rows uh, that alternate kind of like iTunes does you know where one row is blue, one row is white and it it helps to differentiate your messages a little bit so you can kind of tell the difference between multiple messages. It tends to help me not so much when i 'm plugged in on my big screen but when i 'm on my little screen on my MacBook. And, uh, Entourage had that. And Entourage also had the ability to view your messages in a preview pane instead of being below your mail, um, that was off to the side. So you could, uh, sometimes see a little more of the message depending upon how your screen was set up. Uh, if there was a long message, you wouldn't have to scroll through it as much. Um, so, uh, Lightbox will, um, I'm sorry, Letterbox will allow you to, um, just, you know, view the messages off to the side, create some some little visual barriers. Um and it it doesn't it do much but what it does it does well.
0: Yeah, I think if you use Outlook at work and you like the way the mail lays out on that, then you need to put letterbox on your Apple Mail.
1: Right. And it's free, so what have you got to lose?
0: Now, have, do you miss uh entourage? Do you uh, ever think about going back to it?
1: Um I would not go back to it, but yes, I I do miss it. But not so much for the mail features, which is mainly the topic of this show. Um, I miss the integration between email and calendar and address book that came with Entourage. And even now some of the to-do management and things like that that came with Entourage. I thought Entourage by itself, which is, was a much more powerful program, specifically with um, Calendar. Because quite frankly, iCal is just pitiful. Um, But I I did make the switch and um, probably would not go back.
0: I tried Entourage for a while, but I have my own system that works so well with the existing Apple apps that it would have required me to redo a lot. So I kind of didn't really bite onto that. The other thing I didn't like about Entourage is the way it puts everything in this one massive database.
1: And database corruption was an issue, or especially if you had a very large database I ran into – uh, in older versions of Entourage, you would just hit a wall with it.
0: Yeah. I don't know where it is now, but it, it just didn't catch me. Okay. So uh, we've talked about Apple Mail. What about, um, isn't there an application for using Gmail? Uh, what's it called for the? Um, for Mailplane. Mailplane. That's it. Have you got any experience with that?
1: Um, I have not. I've, I've seen some screenshots. I saw saw beta of it. Um, I know a lot of people use it and love it. So if you live in the Gmail world, you may want to check out Mailplane.
0: And see, that's my problem, is I, I rely more on MobileMe than Gmail, so I haven't had a chance to really, or haven't had a need to really dig in deep with it. But I think that's something to look at if, if you like the Gmail system. Right. Right. Okay, so what do you do next? You've got, you've got your mail system set up, you've decided you're going to go IMAP, you've got Apple Mail, you're excited, you get your mobile Me account, and all of a sudden, somebody wants to sell you Viagra.
1: Oh, I get that all the time and more. Um, I also, um, win the lottery quite a bit and there's a Nigerian prince that I'm in frequent correspondence with who, um, I'm, I'm helping him out with a a financial transaction. He's, he's sending me um, some money that he can't get out of the country and, uh, he's going to let me keep some of it.
0: Well, that sounds pretty nice. I'm not sure you wouldn't want to get that email.
1: Yeah. So, um, I used to get a ton of spam and, um. I've now got it – of course, from time to time, things do slip through, but more often than not, my my spam is managed, and I am just a happy camper.
0: Now, is that the Gmail uh, thing you were talking about earlier? Well, so it's-
1: it, it, that's part of it. Initially, um, I started using a great product called SpamSiv, uh, which I believe is $25, $30. we will have to get the, the exact information and get it in the show notes. Um, I think it's, it was actually $30. And they have a free 30 day trial, and I have yet to find a single person who has downloaded the trial who has not turned around and bought the program. It is without a doubt the best email program for the Mac, email filtering program for the Mac that I have ever seen and ever used. And usually after a few days or maybe even a week or two of, of training it with these rules, I don't even look at it anymore. I, I blindly trust that what it has designated as spam is in fact spam
0: yeah you use spam too, and it's that 's the case. You just buy that one don 't worry about the other applications don 't bother trying the other stuff. Just buy spam sieve. It is thirty dollars and it solves my need right that's the spam civ is the reason why i haven 't really gone down the uh, google mail um, hole because i don 't really need to A spam seems to handle the spam problems that I get
1: right and spam sieve, um since i 've been running it has blocked uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of spam messages. In fact, it it also keeps some statistics, and I also use my Gmail filter, so these statistics are a little low. Um, But it says that 58% of the email that it catches is spam, Um, and it has a 99.9% accuracy since I've been using it. Um, And absolutely, I would buy spam in a heartbeat. I think Apple should buy this company, and whatever they're doing, implement that to their server-side filtering, and I would never use Gmail again.
0: Do you um, ever find um, spam civ giving you false positives?
1: Um, very, very, very rarely. I have had one one or two in the history of the time that I've been using it, but I have had none in the past few years. Um, they were all during the initial training period. Um, I would much rather have, um, or wait, false positives. That's where
0: Or your spam, spam filter ends up
1: in your... In your good mail, in email box. No, no, no,
0: that's, that's where good mail ends Oh, where
1: up. good mail ends up in spam. Yeah, that, okay, I was on the right track. And I, w- I would much rather have a false negative than a false positive. Yeah. Because spam I, is easy enough to deal with.
0: I still occasionally find one, but it's very simple. I mean, SpamSiv puts it into a spam mailbox, and once every couple of weeks I just look through it real quick. and uh, But it's not that often. Right. It really isn't.
1: Um, I like I said I, I use the Gmail based spam filter and for most of the things with the exception of my my dot Mac account because everything goes through Gmail and then into my dot Mac account that Gmail filter catches uh, the majority of my spam and that's simply because most of the spam messages that are coming in are coming in through those mailboxes that are being filtered by Gmail before I started using Gmail as a first level filter. Um, I was getting upwards of 90% of my messages were spam. So Gmail has certainly cut down on that. And now anything that gets filtered through that, any of those Gmail accounts um, has already been filtered once, and then SpamSiv acts as another filter. Uh, Anything that comes in straight through my .Mac account, obviously Gmail does not filter, and SpamSiv catches everything. So um, I will typically get the occasional spam message on my iPhone because it's come through a non-Gmail account or... um, but I very, very seldom get a spam message on my Mac because if Gmail's missed it or if it's bypassed Gmail, SpamSiv gets it every time.
0: And See, I'm fortunate in that way because I have an iMac at home that I just leave on and I leave mail running and SpamSiv is part of that. So it catches any, any spam and, and filters it out usually before I even look at it on my iPhone.
1: You know, and it would almost be worth buying a Mac Mini just to do that if you didn't have another spam filtering method. I mean... Heck, I think it would be worth five hundred bucks for me not to have any spam messages.
0: I don't know. The you know, I don't have ninety percent and I don't use Gmail, so maybe I'm lucky. Right. If I had that kind of number, I if I still had a problem, I certainly would route it through Gmail. So why don't you explain that again okay. once how you do that?
1: Well, I have several old email accounts. For example, I have an old email account affiliated uh, from college. I have an old email account that was my secondary email account that I had through my parents' ISP that they still have. Um, so I have a couple of these old accounts lingering around, and quite frankly, those accounts were just wrought with spam. I mean, most of the messages, and that's probably upwards of 95% of my spam messages, came through those specific accounts because people who knew me uh, knew my, my primary email account, and I was careful about where I put that on the web. Um, so
0: See, and those those are the accounts that I trashed. A those are the ones ago. that
1: you delete, right? So if I deleted them too, I wouldn't I wouldn't have had this issue. Um, so those get pulled into Gmail. Gmail does its spam filtering, and then what it has not filtered off gets forwarded to my mobile me account. And um, there are thousands of every month. I delete thousands of spam messages from the Gmail account, although they will. They will delete automatically after 30 days, so you don't have to go in and manage it.
0: um, Now, what about the built-in junk mail filter in Apple Mail?
1: Never used it. Um, I used SpamSiv because it worked both with Entourage and Apple Mail uh, and a number of email clients, actually. And um, I think I used it initially. There may have been a period of time where SpamSiv wasn't Intel or I didn't have it installed or something. Um, Was not happy at all with the Apple Mail email filtering.
0: I think if you don't want to spend 30 bucks and you're kind of a social computer user, you don't use it to, to do your living and you don't have that many email accounts like we do, you could probably get by with it. And it does okay, but I don't think it really is anywhere near the ability of SpamSieve.
1: No. Um, and one thing I I did want to talk about a bit is – I don't know if you've heard the term bacon – um, yeah,
0: I had some this morning. It was great.
1: Did you? I love bacon.
0: I some eggs. You know?
1: uh, I do not like bacon in my spam, and yeah. You know, so there's there's spam versus bacon, and bacon is is kind of messages that aren't spam. They're not malicious. They're messages that you've somehow requested, um, or that you got because of an affiliation with a group. But um, at the same time, you don't necessarily want them. Like I ordered. I order stuff off of PotteryBarn.com, and I gave them my email address, and those people are sending me literally an email every other day about this or that. And Creighton and Barrel's a big one too, um, and I've I finally just unsubscribed from a lot of that stuff and and get email letters. Uh, one of the things that I tell people is if you get a true spam message do not reply to it, do not, and a lot of them will say, to remove, reply to this message with the subject, remove. And all you've done is verify to them that this email address works. They're sending out millions of messages, and a certain percentage of those messages will bounce or never be seen. Um, but if you respond to one, or if you click on a link to one trying to unsubscribe yourself, the only thing you've done is you've put a little star by your name because you've confirmed that your email account is good. Um, so you'll actually increase your spam by doing that.
0: But yeah, you just told, you told the bad guys there's a live body at the other end.
1: Right. Now, bacon is usually from sources that I trust or I've done business with. So that would be my Pottery Barn newsletters, my Crate and Barrel newsletters. And anything like that that has an unsubscribe link at the bottom, that I will trust. If it's someone that I know is legit, I know where it's coming from, and I know they're sending it to me, because I've previously signed up, or we have some kind of business relationship, those I'll click on and unsubscribe.
0: You know, you raised a point about using the bounce feature. Did you know you could bounce an email from um, Apple Mail?
1: You can, um, and I've used that a time or two with stalkers. But um, I think there is a way if you get deep into it that you can you can tell that it's not a true bounce.
0: Yeah, and the way you do that is if you go into right-click in the menu bar, you can add a bounce button. And uh, when an email comes in, you press the bounce button. And what that in theory does is bounces it back to the sender like that was a bad email account.
1: Right. You can also, in the message menu, get to it. There's a a bounce.
0: I've heard different stories on this. Some people say that it it works, and some people say that it's like uh, asking to be unsubscribed, that it confirms something. Mm -hmm. So, uh, frankly, once I got, you know, happy with spam sieve. I don't bounce, I don't do any of that stuff. I just let spam sieve filter it out and I I don't manage it. Well,
1: I tend to think that the bounce feature is is more for uh, an actual human that you may or may not know who is emailing you. Yeah. versus a robot. Although then again, some people say the best way to just ignore it. All right, so we've we've got our email coming in, we've got it sorted, we've got it organized, we've got it filtered, we've got all our email accounts coming in to one place. Then what do you do with it? Cuz I am, you know, I'm crazy about backup and I think that there might be a little pearl of wisdom that I may somehow need in one of these emails in the future and I'm paranoid to throw them away.
0: Okay, well, to start with, you've already got it on your on your Mac. If you're using IMAP and Apple Mail, you've got a local copy of all your emails. And if you're backing up your hard drive, you're getting a backup of your emails that way. So Time Capsule, Time Machine, Super Duper, whatever, you've got a copy there. But I'm with you. I wanted to have a way to have a separate archive of my email. And this is another one where there's really one great solution on the Mac. Mail Steward.
1: Yeah, I I like mail Steward. I've downloaded. I'm actually using the light version, which is about twenty five bucks. I think you're using the higher end version, which is fifty.
0: I yeah, I think I paid fifty bucks for. It. I don't think they had a light version when I bought it, because I don't need the features that are in the heavier version. But I think that's the one I have. Right. But basically, to back up, MailSteward will take your Apple Mail, or actually, I believe it works with other mail clients as well, and it will it will suck out. Copies of all your emails and create its own separate database and index those emails that's searchable.
1: Right, and it's a MySQL database. So the idea is that if you go back years and years and years and you have thousands or hundreds of thousands of email messages, it's going to be a place that can do a better job of searching those email messages and indexing them rather than just having them clog up your mail client. Because, you know, once you get into the multiple thousands or hundreds of thousands of messages, your spotlight searches are going to slow down, especially on older computers.
0: Yeah, so when I hit that wall and my spotlight starts getting slow, noticeably slow, then I will um, put some of my uh, – put every, everything's already on a mail backup. But then I will purge some of the older email out of my um, Apple Mail, and that stuff will only be backed up in the mail steward archive.
1: Right, and I actually ran into some trouble, and I think I'm going to alter my practices a little bit, Um, but I typically um, only keep a year's back worth of email messages, Um, and I ran into a little trouble in April when I was preparing my taxes is um, I didn't have a message from the beginning of last year. I don't know how I got deleted off, but or I guess it came. It was actually a message that something that I had bought at the very end of December but didn't actually ship and didn't actually bill until uh, January of the following year that was deductible, um, and I could not find the receipt in my Apple Mail archive and actually had to go into Mail Steward, and sure enough, there it was.
0: Yeah, so the way you use MailSteward is you run it. You give it a beginning and ending date, or in my case, I just tell it to back up everything.
1: And, and it will figure out, okay, I've backed up mail since this date.
0: Yeah. And it gives it's itself
1: in- a cushion, so it intentionally will have some duplicates and then filter them off.
0: Yeah. And when you're done, you've got this nice little database file that you can copy and back up on its own. Sure. So once you've got it created I you know like for instance you can put a copy up in your um, um, in your mobile me database if you want it's a big file though so it may take up a bit of space or you can put it on an external hard drive or on a thumbstick or whatever you know so the point is you've got your email in multiple places so if for some reason the mobile me server burns down on the same day your computer spontaneously melts uh, you could go take that external database and reinstall it
1: Right. Now, I use a little different method. I, I do use mail Steward, but I had a problem in that there were certain things that I found that by managing multiple devices, and this is probably where your email management system has um, some benefits over mine, is that I was missing mail. Um, for here, Here's my example. As I've set up a rule in Apple Mail that any message that comes into Apple Mail will a copy will be created and put in this folder that I call archive that is on my mobile me account. So I get a message into Apple Mail, it comes into my inbox, I deal with it, I delete it, but I always have a copy of that message in Archive and it's backed up. The problem is, and Mail Steward will get it and all of that good stuff. The problem is if I have a message come on my iPhone and I have actually set up a way that any message on my iPhone that I send to Trash is actually going into that archive folder. So any message that comes into my iPhone, I deal with and delete, is archived. Any message that comes into my desktop is archived. The problem arose when any message came in on my iPhone, particularly if it was an important message. Uh, it tended to happen more often with those. I would read it on my iPhone, say, this is something I've got to deal with more in depth or more than I can deal with on my iPhone. I would save it for the evening when I got home. It would be in my inbox because of the IMAP, everything syncs up. And then the problem is, is that it would already be read. It would not be a new message coming into my inbox. So my mail rule would not catch it and put it into my archive folder i deal with it, I'd reply to it, I'd delete it, and I would never have a backup of that message. Um, I've started using, I've created a separate Gmail account, which I call my Gmail Archive, and every email that comes in to me is forwarded to that Gmail Archive. Sent mail isn't a problem. Everything I send, I've got on my computer. But I have a separate series of rules and filters that forwards every single message that comes in to that Gmail archive, it's a separate login that I can always go to and pull it up, and there are my messages. Now, there are some concerns with this, sure, because every single email message I've received since this has been operational lives in that archive, and if anything ever happened, it would be gone, or if someone guessed my password, they could get in. But it's kind of my ultimate archive backup, and it covers those few gaps that I have in my current archiving system.
0: Kind of belt and suspenders
1: it is, yeah,
0: you know, I just don't want to do that. I think using the mail steward backup and the fact that my Macs are backed up two or three times, and I have two Macs, so I've got the email backed up on two different computers at any time, I just think that's a step I don't need. I understand why you do it though, but and also, I just don't like the idea of Gmail getting all of my email i haven't I haven't got over that yet
1: all right, well that's. Definitely a concern I can see, so maybe something I may have to rethink in the future. Um, But we have been going on here for almost an hour and 15 minutes, so it's probably good if we uh, stop this podcast here and uh, actually make this a two-part episode. I had no idea that we were going to go this long. So in the next version of the podcast, which we'll probably release in about a week or so after this, uh, we're going to talk specifically about our email strategies. And uh, David has a crazy email strategy. And um, so trust me, you don't want to miss that. Uh, We're going to talk a little about email best practices. Uh, We're going to talk about email etiquette. We're going to talk a little bit about how we are slaves to the email and how to try to break those chains a little bit. Uh, And also talk about some other useful tools that we use while working with email. Um, and we should probably talk about if, if ways to contact us if people have other tools, because a big part of the show is going to be feedback.
0: Yeah, um, well, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com is the best way. Right, that
1: can- will yeah. go to both of us, and, and we'll both see it.
0: Send uh, us a message in, uh, in Twitter at MacPowerUsers.
1: You can also check out our website. That's MacPowerUsers.com.
0: The comments are turned on there, so if you have comments on an episode... Um, I think – is this where we make the shameless plea for uh, iTunes reviews?
1: We can make the shameless plea for iTunes reviews. And I I know everybody asks you to review their podcast in iTunes. And uh, if you liked this, if you think it has potential, uh, we would certainly appreciate that because being a new podcast, early iTunes reviews are really key in helping us getting featured, uh, especially in iTunes What's New section. Um, so, uh, if you could take a few minutes, leave a comment for us on iTunes. Those those early iTunes comments really help.
0: And um, well, what else is there, Katie? Have we got it all covered today?
1: Well, we've got some really cool artwork.
0: Yes, yes. Our friend Darren Rolf over at the MacWingnut dot uh, who has never let me down and always been there with great stuff for me at Mac Sparky, and now here he is with us with Mac Power Users. And he also
1: uh, did the Mac Core. Logo oh, did he? as well, he did, yeah,
0: he is the uh the artist of the Mac community, and Darren just does outstanding work i you know we are a bunch of lawyers who have no idea what we're talking about when it comes to art, especially, and we told him what we were going to do with the show, and he came up with this fantastic logo with the battery, and I just love it, so uh give any love you have to Darren Rolf over at the Mac wingnut.
1: Right, and we'll probably do t-shirts or, or something in the future. We've, we've already had requests from people who like the logo, so we'll see yes. about doing
0: it. The logo is that cool, but people have already asked for t-shirts.
1: Yeah, and if you really liked the show, one way that you can help support us is we do have a PayPal link up on the website. Um, whatever you feel comfortable with, um, certainly we appreciate your emails and your comments just as much as we do that, but it does help uh, keep us in bandwidth.
0: And what are we going to do next, Katie?
1: Next up is going to be all about email part two. And as we discussed a little previously, we're going to get into our own obsessive compulsive email systems, talk about workflow, what works for us, what doesn't, how we developed these systems, uh, what can be added, what can be deleted. And uh, we'll go more in depth into email. And then the following show will be on a new topic, probably on a management of a paperless office. So uh, thanks for sticking with us and um, stay tuned because there's a whole lot more coming
0: and I want to thank everyone if you've listened this long you truly are awesome
1: and you truly are a Mac Power user and um, just want to thank everybody out there in the Mac community we've we've had overwhelming support for this podcast we kind of pre-announced it about a week ago there's been a lot of good vibes and a lot of people who have subscribed to the show uh, even before we produced our first real show so just want to say thank you to all of those people and uh, if you think this is helpful let a friend know this is where we are
0: I've got some great emails from people excited about this, and I just want to say it's just humbling how, how warm and excited people have been.
1: All right. Well, I guess we better leave it there. I look forward to speaking to you all again next time.